0: Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit olcc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at olccokc is really good to be with you all this morning and especially just the sweetness of the Lord's presence with us today was wonderful. They took us to heaven, which is what you want. And it was great. And I believe for great things coming. We've all been through kind of a tough time and we live in difficult days. But that's when The church of Jesus shines the brightest. You know, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. And uh, so I believe in great things ahead. About 300 years ago, there were a small group of believers also going through a tough time. Um, They were persecuted because... 300 years ago, uh, the general belief was that everybody should have the religion of whoever the king or prince or dustpot of their area was. So you're, they, were, they only they only believed in having one religion in any given country, as it were. And these people were true believers, and they were out of sync with most of the countries around them. They were... And uh, they were in an area of uh, Germany, is where they lived. They, they were lived in, in what is now Germany. But there was a, a count, his name was Count Zinzendorf, who was very sympathetic to them. And so he invited them to come and make a new community on his land where they would be safe. And so they went there and built this community. All these different persecuted believers started to gather there. But it wasn't long they began to bicker and fight and have conflict with each other because they found out as they dug down a little bit they had various things they didn't agree on. You know, they, were, they all agreed that they weren't Catholics but once you got past that there were other things that you could disagree about. Sort of like now. <laughs> and and this, this became a big problem as, as it, they were going along. And finally, the count, who was meant to be a politician, not a pastor, had to come and actually spend several weeks preaching to these people about how, their need to give up their selfishness and their pride. And so in response, a few of them Began to have late night prayer meetings. They would gather after work, after the work day and pray and ask God to help them and to do something uh, to help their community find love and unity again. And then, and they recorded the day, it was August 13th, 1727. The Spirit of the Lord was poured out on their group. They were gathered together. It was a Sunday. And the Lord came. And the power of the Lord was so strong that the people who were leading the worship could no longer lead the worship. They were unable to speak or sing. And some of people started falling down and crying out. Some of them were shaking because the power and the presence of the Lord was so strong in their midst. And one of them wrote about it, and uh, I I got a a sort of, obviously it's a translation, because they wrote, I'm, I'm quite certain, in German. But he wrote about it, and here's how it goes. He says, Verily, the 13th of August, 1727, was a day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw the hand of God. And his wonders, and we were all under the cloud of our fathers, baptized with their spirit. The Holy Ghost came upon us, and in those days, great signs and wonders took place in our midst. From that time, scarcely a day passed, but what we beheld, his almighty workings amongst us. A great hunger, note this, a great hunger after the Word of God took possession of us, so that we had to have three services every day. If you're praying for revival, just think about what that might mean. For them, it meant. Services at 5 a.m. and 7.30 a.m. and then at 9 p.m. Because all these people still had jobs. (laughs) Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared and an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all into the great ocean of divine love. One other person said, we left the house of God that day hardly knowing whether we belonged to earth or had already gone to heaven. So what began to happen from that day forward is they started a prayer meeting, a 24-hour a day prayer meeting, and they prayed 24 hours a day, each person, you know, different people taking cycles on the clock. The prayer meeting lasted, folks, for 100 years. But it wasn't just that they prayed, but the Spirit of God moved among them continuously and began to speak to them. And he began to raise up to them first, of course, the things in their heart, the selfishness and the pride and the things that had divided them from one another. Then this great hunger for the Word of God. But then the Spirit of God began to remind them of the forgotten people of the world. The first people that the Holy Spirit brought to their mind were the African slaves in the Caribbean on the sugar plantations. And they wanted to go to them and share with them the good news of Jesus. Now, the plantation owners were not very happy about that idea because if you preach the gospel to slaves, they become... They become human beings and they're no longer slaves in their minds. And so a couple of them determined that they would sell themselves into slavery in order to go and preach to the slaves. I think they may not have had to actually do it. I think on the threat of that happening and the embarrassment that it would mean the slave-overs relented, but they did go. And then the Lord began to speak to them about the indigenous peoples of North America. And the first ones they went to were the Cherokee, who were then in the area we would now call Georgia. And they went to them and shared with them the good news of Jesus. Many of you, of course, probably know that later on, A 100 years later, the Cherokee were forced to leave and come here to Oklahoma. And, of course, many of them died along the way, and it was called the Trail of Tears. But what a lot of people don't know is they were believers. And on the Trail of Tears, they were singing hymns to Jesus. And it's because of these people, they're called the Moravians, because that's where the area of Germany came from. And then the Lord began to speak to them about the Muslims and, and basically just progressively the forgotten people of the world because the spirit of the Lord, the, the nature of the Holy Spirit is to leave the 99 and find the one that's lost. That, folks, is what kingdom life is all about. That's what our hearts yearn for, and it can be done and has been done. The problem is that many who have experienced the outpouring of the Spirit, those glorious days of the Spirit's power, so often seem to lose it after a while. We leak. And that awareness of the kingdom fades away, and we go back to our selfish and prideful ways. Seems the church continually seems to slide back into apathy and human effort. And the hunger for God and that tenderness towards Him and one another is lost. Why is that? And the reason is, of course, that to stay in that, you must continually, we must continually, choose to give the Holy Spirit full control over our lives. Not half control. Not three-quarters control. Full control. And we do love being in control. Galatians 5:25 Since we live by the Spirit let us keep in step with the Spirit That's the thing it's not good enough to start We have to walk the whole journey We must keep in step with him and follow him all the way to the end So how do we do that The first thing is that we must give what we have, our life, our ministry, our family, our business, our church, back to God. About uh, 35 years ago, I think, well, a little more than that, maybe 37, our church became like the Moravians aware that we needed help. And we also began to pray and ask God to send a revival to us. We prayed for two years, every way we could think about. It. Prayer chains, prayer mornings, prayer nights, all-night prayers. We had to keep changing it to keep people coming. For two years, nothing happened. But then, one day, the Spirit of God came and visited us. And half the church ended up on the floor... In about a 15 minute time spirit span. Which was quite interesting. Because it had never happened in our church before. And I used to think it was all fake. That people were just being pushed down. But. Like half the church ended up on the floor. And they they somehow. Some of them got under their chairs. Like got wedged under their chairs. Shaking and crying. I don't know how they did it. And then. You know, the leaders, we met again, and about about a week, two weeks later, the Lord spoke to us in our leaders meeting, and he said, okay, you got the revival you've been praying for, but if you want it to keep going, and this is what I want to talk about today, if you want it to keep going, he said, you must give the church back to me. That was a big problem for me, because I started that church so I could have a church to go to. Like, I started that church so I could have a church I liked. Like, I couldn't find a church I liked. And instead of just being a grump, I started one. That I liked. You know, and it wasn't terribly complicated. We were going to, like, ditch the suits and ties. That was number one. Number two was we were going to worship with guitars, which was a really radical idea at the time. Three, we would have small groups. And, the, and we fulfilled my vision on the first Sunday, but then, of course, God had other ideas. So giving the church back to God was quite worrisome to me. I thought to myself, what if I give it back to him and he changes it? What if I don't like it? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm going through all of this in my head. Like, I don't really want to give the church back to him. I'm, like, not sure what he's going to do with it. But I couldn't, like, for the life of me figure out how I could justify saying, no, Jesus, I'm keeping your church for myself. So I gritted my teeth, and I signed the blank check, as it were, and said, okay, we're giving the church back to you. And then just kind of waited pretty anxiously. Okay, now, now what's going to happen? So the next thing that happened was the power of the Lord would come on people. And it was happening every meeting, like small groups, Sunday meetings. The power of the Lord would come on people and people would shake and cry and cry out. But now when he came, they started confessing their sins. And I mean, like, confessing all, they confessing their sins. And what began to happen was God started showing us sins that we had been unaware of, things we'd not thought about. And that included me. He started bringing up people I had broken relationships with from the past. What about that? Like, that was a failure of love. And so I had to write a lot of letters. We didn't have email yet. So we wrote letters, wrote a lot of apology letters. Then it was, you know, you've been trying to lead this church by controlling everything. And trying to keep everybody from making mistakes. But that actually keeps them from growing. So I had to stand in front of the church and confess and repent. And then he said, you know, I don't really like the suspicion that you live with towards women, and in particular, towards the Holy Spirit in the women. So then I had to apologize for that. (laughs) And so we all went through this season of God bringing things to mind and having to confess and weeping and but and you know you can hear it and it sounds like heavy or negative but it wasn't like that at all it was so full of tenderness and closeness I, we had never felt closer to God it was like floating in a sea of God's mercy it was he was he was so there you you couldn't wait to let go of these things so you could fly with him and go with him. But we had to give it all back to God. And, you know, then it went on to other things. He changed the way we structured our leadership, and he changed the way we did our worship, and he changed the way we did our small groups. And by the end of the year, I was talking to my father, who's a pastor, and I said, you know, I don't think God liked our church very much. because we gave it back to him and he pretty much changed everything <laughs> but what i want to say is like it was really all right because it was so much better i mean it was beyond my wildest imagination it was and has continued to be since then you see in giving it all back to god we cease living for ourselves and begin living only for him and in him. And there are no words to describe how wonderful that is. Because, see, when you have given it all back to God, when you are living only for him and only in him, there's no room for anxiety or fear or anger or frustration All of that's gone. There's no room for that. There's no need for it. If you're you're dead in Christ, there's nothing left to be afraid of. And that comes by giving it all back to him. Second, we have to learn to wait upon God. John 5, 19, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, I read that and I think, wow, Jesus is like just playing this father, this, this, almost this game of father may I. He's just step by step. I see what the Father's doing and I do that. And then I see what the father does and I do that. Which means then that everything you do has already been prepared by God ahead of time. And if Jesus can only do those things, then how much can I do? Like nothing. And one of the, I I don't have time to really tell you the whole story, but before this outpouring, God had brought me to the end of myself of my strength where I realized that I could do nothing, that my effort, my smarts, my strength were not enough. And so I learned then to do everything with him. And when we stop from our labor, and begin to wait upon him and do what he is doing. It's like moving from rowing to sailing. Instead of rowing, you begin, You put up your sail and you begin to ride with the wind. And he takes you and he does the effort. He is providing the energy. All you gotta do is go with him. Very early on, We were all just a bunch of college kids that were trying to do this new kind of church. But as these things go, we began to have special feelings for different ones. And, you know, people started getting married. And then, you know, pretty soon we had children. And then the sort of like the day dawned on us, like, we actually need to do something with these children (laughs) on Sundays. And... So there was a seminary student that was attending our church, and so we said, well, how about if we pay you and you become our part-time children's pastor? So he did that for a year. And at the end of the year, he came to us and said, I'm resigning. I've decided I don't want to be a children's pastor. In fact, I don't want to be a pastor at all. (laughs) I'm going to go back to school and become a counselor. So then I realized... We need to find somebody who's actually called to the children. So we didn't tell people that we had a vacancy coming up because then I would have, I knew that we had some people in the church that I know they're going to apply just because they want to work for the church. But they're not called to the kids. It's going to be a stepping stone for them. And I don't want to have to deal with that. So we didn't announce it. We didn't list it. We didn't publicize it. I just started praying. But D-Day, when, you know, the bomb went off down the hall and the kids' ministry was coming closer and closer, and I started getting desperate. I started lying on the floor and crying out to God, like, we need somebody. So then somebody had this soup and sandwich gathering at their house, and I went to that, and somebody at this meeting said, oh, let's go around the room and, like, share with each other the dreams we have for our lives that we've never told anybody. And I thought, this is gonna be really hokey. (laughs) But it wasn't my party, so it was like, all right. Why did I come to this party? Anyway, (laughs) we're there. And they started going around the room, and it gets to this African-American lady in our church. Her name was Eloise McKittrick, and the thing about Eloise is she was an executive vice president at Kraft General Foods. For her commute, she got picked up in a limousine every day and taken to work so that she could work in the limo on the way to work. She was driving, shall we say, a very nice car. She had a PhD, she had qualifications up the wazoo, and... You know, she'd been actually written up in Ebony Magazine. I mean, most of you don't probably, a couple of you maybe looked at Ebony Magazine. I see a few faces out there, they might know what Ebony Magazine is, but probably most of you don't. But yeah, she got written up as, you know, one of the brightest and and most successful women in America, you know, who were black. So we get to her, and she says, the dream I've never told anybody is I want to work for Steve, and I think it has something to do with children. I about had a heart attack on the spot. I thought. Nobody else in the room, of course, knew it was an issue, but I'm sitting there. I'm like, my eyes are popping out of my head. I'm like, did I just hear what I heard? Like, I had no idea. I thought, holy moly, would God be that good to us? So then I started wrestling with this, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to, like, tell her. And then I started thinking about how much we were all going to (laughs) offer. You know, thinking about the pay that we were going to suggest that she work at. And I couldn't do it. I thought I can't. Like, I'm asking her to take, like, a 95% pay cut. And there's no limos to take you to church. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. I, just, I went back and forth. And back and forth. Oh, I, I can't. I just can't. I just can't ask somebody to do that. And finally, you know, it's Sunday after church and the panic level's rising. And I said to God, I can't do it. If you want her to do this thing, you're going to just have to talk to her yourself. 30 seconds later, the phone rings, and it's her. And she says, all this week, I keep having every night two dreams. And I felt like the Lord said, I needed to talk to you to get the interpretation of the dreams. (laughs) And I thought, oh boy, this is gonna be good. Tell me your dreams. Here's the first dream. There's a part, an airplane in Chicago with a missing part. So it couldn't get off the ground without this part. And it had to taxi all the way down the highway to her parents' home in Kentucky to get the missing part. Is that like obvious? Do you need a special gift to interpret that dream? Second dream. Jesus takes her into the basement of her grandmother's house. And it's filled with children. And he says, you're to pray over these. And all I said to her was, well, you don't know, but we've been praying for three months for God to call somebody to be our children's pastor. And she started screaming. (laughs) And uh, within a month, she was our children's pastor. Now, The reason I tell that story is because when you let God be in control and when you wait for him and don't just do it what you can concoct, but wait for him to do it, it is so much better. And I could tell you one after another, after another, after another story. So you have to learn to wait and Follow what your father's doing. Wait and see what the Lord is doing in your life. And this works in business, folks, too. You wait, let see what the father's doing, and do that. And then lastly, if you're going to keep walking in step with the Spirit, you are going to have to take risks. In the, you're in the vineyard now, and in the vineyard we have a saying faith is spelled r-i-s-k taking risks, taking risks. you have to say yes to god no matter what in fact he likes the yeses up front he wants you to say yes first and then he tells you what's going to happen and that means risk you have to determine you're going to like take the risk And when you learn to do that while looking for what the Father's doing, amazing things happen. So I used to, when I was younger, and I could kind of look young, I used to go to the nearby college campus, Northwestern University, and they had a college fellowship group up there, and I would go up there and sit in the back. And it was my church planting plan because I would figure out who the leaders were, and then I would offer to mentor them And they would come to my church and bring all the rest of the kids. So that was my strategy, which actually worked pretty well. So one day I'm there and I'm sitting in the back. And this guy comes in and sits next to me. And he has like the worst cold you've ever seen. I mean, if he were alive now, you'd think the guy had COVID. I mean, he was miserable. He was dripping with fever and snot coming out. I said, what are you doing here? You know. (laughs) And I was kind of annoyed at first because he's like making a lot of noise over there next to me. And then something came over me and I just felt like, you know, you should pray for him. So I leaned over and said, do you want me to pray for you? He said, okay. So I prayed for him and boom. The power of God came on him. That guy was healed of his cold in about 30 seconds. I mean, 100%. The only person I've ever prayed for with a cold who got healed. <laughs> like, I've, I've seen all kinds of cancers and stuff like that healed, but colds never. But this guy, he had a cold, and he got healed. And here's the thing. He was a Turkish exchange student. He's from Turkey, Muslim background. Well, after he got healed, he was a whole lot more interested in Jesus. <laughs> like, he was already a little bit. He was kind of asking. That's why he was there. But he went over there. So then he, he, he became a part of our church. And then the, there was a, a Turkish woman that was an exchange student, and he brought her, and pretty soon she becomes a believer. And then the next thing I know, she goes back to Turkey, and she finds another, some other university students In Turkey, that have a little group that's meeting in one of the consulates where the police can't bother them. But they don't know anything about worship and they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And so she tells them all about the worship and the Holy Spirit that we were doing. So I got invited to go over there and help them. And long story short, I've been going over there now every year, every other year for 30 years. And we have six vineyard churches there. And they've started another one in Azerbaijan. And the connection in Turkey led us to help plant a bunch of churches in Tajikistan. And that connection led us to a man who married, a woman from our church, from Iran, who is overseeing from outside the country because he had to escape from prison. But that's another story. Uh, Hundreds of house churches in Iran. Okay, now. And I didn't plan on any of it. Or make any of it happen. I like prayed for a guy with the cold. So, that's the way this thing works. <laughs> like, You just, like, respond. Like, the second to the last time I got on a plane, I was coming home from Minneapolis. It's just like a month or two ago. I sit down on the plane, and I'm pulling out my phone. I'm going to listen to gospel music on my way home because that's my medicine. And this guy sits down next to me. It's a smaller plane, so it's only two seats on his side. So it's just him and me on that side. He sits down next to me, and he turns to me and he says, I'm on my way back home now from the worst day of my life. And I thought, oh God, how did they know? <laughs> so I put my phone away. <laughs> I said goodbye to my gospel music and spent the whole time talking to him and praying with him. You know, and, and that's how it goes. And it's just when you say yes and you just say yes, God, however you want to use me, my answer is yes. That's the deal. However you want to use me, my answer is yes. Wonderful things happen. And the most important thing is the whole relationship with the Holy Spirit stays fresh and real and doesn't go old. That's what you want. Let's stand. So my challenge to you right now is I want you to give back to God and give him your yes, whatever it is you got. You got a ministry, you got your church, you got your family, you got your business, your education, whatever it is you're doing. I'm asking you to sign a blank check with God, like give it back to God. And sign the blank check and say, I say yes to whatever you bring ahead of time. And I'm just going to wait and let you do that. You And what I'd like you to do is whisper t- to God what you want to say to him. So that you're like putting a little bit of your voice behind, but nobody else needs to hear. But whisper it. And then after a few minutes, I'll pray for you as a group. Jesus, will you take it all? Take us. And may you send to us that wave of grace and mercy that the Moravians knew, that so many of your people have known. May you send the power of your grace and mercy. Through this room, through these churches, into our families, our futures, Holy Spirit, may you release that hunger and thirsting that made them need to meet three times a day because they couldn't get enough. Take us and use us, Lord. Use us. Wherever, whenever, wherever it goes, use us. Now release your power in us to give away. Fill the hands with healing power. Fill our mouths with words from heaven that will set hearts on fire. Yeah, the Spirit of God is just resting all across the realm. He's just resting on us. So as He's touching you and you sense His presence, just keep saying yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He loves those words. Yes, Lord. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are. Yes, Lord. Lord, would you break open any place where our hearts have been hardened? Make us soft. God is doing deep work in some of you. He's working in your hearts now. Some of you, he's reviving old visions that you said no to and saying, how about a yes now? How about a yes now? He loves to pull you back and restore what you thought was lost.